1: We welcome all visitors as we desire to see those who are Jewish and not Jewish worshiping together in unity. We're honored to serve the listening audience of AM570 WTBN and 910 WTWD, Tampa Bay's Faith Talk. Well, Shalom. It is good to be on the radio once again. It's a blessing to be with you. And uh, let us start with prayer. Avinu Malkeinu, our Father, our King, we love you and praise you and honor you and worship you, Lord. This is the day you've made. We will rejoice. We will be glad in it. And so, Father, this is a special time where we are seeking your face and looking for revival and looking for what you're going to do in the world because you are a faithful and amazing God. So, Lord, we love you. We praise you. We pray that this will be a wonderful program, uh, that you will be exalted. We pray this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Well, we're going to start today with the counting of the Omer. And uh, even though, well, let's just begin. <laughs> Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has set us apart by your commandments and has commanded us to count the Omer. Today is the seventh day of the third week, and day 21, I have counted the Omer. Now the theme for today, which I'm actually taking from last night, is uh, humility, a strength through sacrifice. And we read in the scripture, Philippians 2, 3-8, do nothing out of selfishness or conceit, but with humility, consider others as more important than yourselves, looking out not only for your own interests, but also the interests of others, have this attitude in yourselves, which also was in Messiah Yeshua, who, though existing in the form of God, did not consider being equal to God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, becoming the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So I have two thoughts for you. Both of these are on my wall in my office because I feel they're so important. The first one comes from somebody who, uh, a rabbi who is not a believer in Yeshua. His name is Abraham Joshua Herschel, and it says self-respect is the root of discipline. The sense of dignity grows with the ability to say no to oneself. Give that some thought, will you? And the second was from another rabbi, but this one is a believer in Yeshua, Ofer Amitai in Israel. And he said, if you become a sacrifice." You will never be a victim. I love that. Your ability to put others first in your life displays your humility and demonstrates your strength of character. Here's the challenge for the day. Do I ask myself whether or not I am humble or do I ask myself whether I sacrificially put others before myself? The way you answer that question might reveal if you're focused on the wrong question. Do I sacrificially put God's desire before my own? And that's the challenge. The prayer for today, Father, I realize there is distance between my understanding of humility and yours I ask you to give me the desire to be humble, give me the strength to be humble, and may your anointing of humility be upon me. May I prove through putting others before me that I have learned this lesson of humility as I discipline myself to pray and fast, revive me. Amen. So. I want to uh, go today and talk a little bit about from the Holocaust, which we talked about last week, to independence, and uh, because this week we're talking about uh, Israel's independence. But before we do that, I just want to thank you for your prayers. Some of you might know I've tested positive for COVID, which is why I'm not in the studio today. Uh, I'm doing this by phone if I don't sound like my usual self. So far, my symptoms are like a bad cold. Um, Last week, we actually canceled all of our services because we didn't want to spread COVID further to anyone else because there are a few people already who have COVID in our congregation. And this week, we're having Facebook Live only. It's interesting, don't you think, that during 40 days of prayer and fasting, the enemy tries as much as he can to stop the move of God's Spirit. But God triumphs, as you know. Last week, as I mentioned, we talked about Yom HaShoah. This week, Yom HaAzmaut, which is the Day of Independence for Israel. And there are many things, you know, I don't understand about God. However, one thing I'm fairly certain of, God is faithful. You know, God promised to Abraham the land of Israel for his people. And how many thousands of years later, here we are. Yes, right? God promised that a non-people... Would make Israel jealous in Romans 11. And we see this happening today as Christians who are not a people in terms of with a land, but they're a non people, they're a a people of faith. They would, they're actually making Jewish people jealous. And Jewish people are coming to know the Lord because of these. Christians who are just sharing their love, amen? And then another thing about God's faithfulness is he promised that the two people, Jew and Gentile, would become one new man. And I think we're seeing that as we look at the Messianic movement, we're seeing Jews and those who were not born Jewish come together and worship together. So as we study the history of Israel, I really feel We are studying the faithfulness of God. Now, in the late 1800s, nobody thought really of Israel and Jews coming back to the land, except that there was a a group of Russians, Russian Jews, who began to move back to Israel. And um, this is called the first Aliyah. And Aliyah means called up. And during the same time, God raises up a Jewish person by the name of Theodore Herzl. And this, he's the, considered the father of modern Zionism. Now, he's also known as the father of the state of Israel, though he died before it was actually formed. And he started the first Zionist Congress in 1897, which was the talk of going back to Israel, right? But it seemed unheard of, because from 19, uh, 1517 to 1917, Israel was controlled by the Turkish Empire or the Ottoman Empire. Now, at the end of World War One, Great Britain controlled all of Israel— and in 1917, there was a British foreign minister. His name was Balfour. In fact, his declaration or his pledge was called the Balfour Declaration. And he promised Jewish people a national homeland in Palestine. Now, the Arabs were extremely against this. And so they uh, they just talked to... Uh, Everybody possible, and they started, there started to be uh, all sorts of uh, fighting going on, and so it never came about, right? But then in 1939, when World War II began and the Holocaust, um, we see afterwards that it be- uh, Israel became a nation. Now, if you remember from last week, Three main themes of the Holocaust remembrance is never forget, never again, and never be silent and so we we talked last week about the fact that during the holocaust. Uh, Six million Jews were killed and and 11 million people altogether, including gypsies and homosexuals and Jehovah's Witnesses and even the disabled. Um, But the Nazis killed two-thirds of all the Jews in Europe and uh, also killed 1.1 million children. Is that hard to believe? It's crazy. But you know, all of this started... When the Nazis, and I mentioned this last week, they announced a boycott of all Jewish-run businesses. Does that sound familiar? Government endorsing cancel culture? A boycott of Jewish-run businesses? Like all people, but especially the Jews, should be horrified by cancel culture. When the government doesn't like something or someone and they cancel it, it 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 comes in in so many disguises but our government even now talking about georgia and and how glad they are that the baseball all-star game was moved from georgia i mean this is the kind of stuff we should that should scare us in germany people didn't see the problem just like here until it was unstoppable it's scary that People want to cancel the right for other people to have different opinions. And later on, we see the Nuremberg laws where Jews got stripped of their citizenship, prohibited marriages, prohibited romantic relations between Jews and Germans, and they lost their civil jobs, and they weren't allowed in parks and stuff like that. Well, you say that's so crazy, but how about people in Hollywood not getting jobs if they have a conservative viewpoint? Or how about people getting fired from corporate jobs because they have a conservative viewpoint? You know, last week I told you about my mom and and what happened to her. She was stopped by a Nazi, and and uh, but this week I have a special video. Actually, you're only going to be able to hear it, not see it. It's uh, done uh, a testimony by Jermaine Pitchin, who lived in uh, Clearwater and passed away. Uh, I had the opportunity to help bring her to the Lord. She passed away a couple years ago. She's the mom of Saul Pitchin, And um, what we see in this is an example of Yom HaShoah, the Holocaust, and all the ugliness of it. So let's um, listen in and hear this testimony.
0: It was 1942. Germaine was only 16. Only 16 years old when her entire family, her mother and five sisters and herself, were forced to leave their home along with thousands of other confused and terrified families. Germaine had already witnessed the cruelty of the Nazis when she watched her father being killed in front of her by a German soldier. As the family was herded like cattle into a crowded boxcar, their destination was unknown. And although they were told that they were headed for Poland, to be given homes and to work on a farm where they could earn some much needed money. The horrible reality was that they would soon join so many others whose lives would be tragically and horribly ended for one reason. They were Jewish, and they were an unwanted people. Germaine was so scared, she had no idea what was happening or where they were taking her family. They traveled for eight days with no food or water. Germaine's mother tried to comfort the family, but they had heard stories of what this day would mean. The only comfort was that they were together. But that would soon change. As the train arrived at the now infamous Nazi concentration camp known as Auschwitz, Germaine's family was immediately shattered. Her mother and sisters were led away, presumably to the gas chambers. They killed 3,000 in the gas chambers that day. She would never see them again. Germaine was put in a group of 300 teenage girls and held in block 10. The living conditions were unimaginable. This block was known as the experimental block, where the young girls were saved for medical experiments. Germaine was in shock. She had just lost her entire family, and now she was all alone. A 16-year-old girl, not knowing her fate, but was fearing the worst. Germaine's fears were soon realized as she was led into a small, dark operating room where she would soon be confronted by the infamous Angel of Death, Dr. Joseph Mangala. Without anesthesia, Mengele began an operation to remove Germaine's reproductive organs. He had already removed one of Germaine's ovaries when airplanes from the Allied forces began a bombing raid. Mengele ran away to hide, but instructed an imprisoned Jewish doctor who was assisting with surgery to finish the job. It was as if an angel of life had come to Germaine. Instead of completing the surgery, the Jewish doctor decided to leave her remaining ovary intact. But he made her promise two things. One, that she would hide her cycle so that no one would know what he had done. And two, that she would name her first son after him. Germaine kept both promises. Three more years would pass before Germaine was freed from her captors. She met and married Simon, another Holocaust survivor. Not knowing if she would ever be able to have children of her own, the Lord blessed she and Simon by increasing her family to include four sons who married and gave her eight grandchildren and nine great grandchildren. Simon and Germaine named their firstborn son Solomon. Solomon Saul on. The family will rejoice and increase even more with the arrival of two more great-grandchildren as Saul's daughter welcomes twin girls in November. Because of Germaine's horrible ordeal, Saul's very birth is a miracle in itself. But because of Saul's commitment and the commitment of so many other caring people, miracles are happening every day. Because we are called for such a time as this, today's holocaust of abortion is being replaced by miracles of life. One day at a time, one life at a time. Thank you for helping us to fight the Holocaust of abortion in our community.
1: Now You can imagine how awful that was. And that's why in 1947, after World War II, the U.N. proposed the establishment of two states, one for Jewish people and one for Arabs. But the Arabs refused, even though the Jews were getting a half of a quarter of the promised land, and much of that was desert, but Arabs still refused. However, as you know, 1948, state of Israel was proclaimed on May 14th, and uh, in the United Nations and immediately five Arab states invaded Israel. One of the things we have to see here is that when you move from something as horrific as the Holocaust into independence, things don't necessarily get easier, right? Arabs were on all sides and they wanted Israel gone. The wars that Israel had to fight and even Arabs inside Israel. Some are very hostile, even those who can be considered citizens. But through all of this, Israel moved forward and has become a thriving country. So I believe a lot of that is the faithfulness of God, and we have to understand His faithfulness to us. So some of the lessons to be learned is, first of all, it's not about us, just like I read about humility. It's about God's plan and His plan for the ages. Being chosen is not always a benefit, right? Often times it feels unfair in isaiah forty nine six it says, So he says, Is it a trifling thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the preserved ones of Israel?' So I will give you as a light for the nations, so that you should be my salvation to the end of the earth. A light for the nations, not to the nations, a light for the nations. That's talking about servanthood. Now, you, that scripture, I believe, is talking about Yeshua. Some people say it's talking about Israel. But whatever it is, we are his disciples, and we are to be, secondly, his servants. Not only is it not about uh, us, it's about God, but we are his servants, which is lesson two. And we see in scripture here that uh, we are asked to serve just as he served. And so uh, in lesson three is, I already mentioned, that God is faithful And God brought us back to the land of Israel. God made the desert bloom like a rose. God revived the dead language of Hebrew. God kept his Jewish people without a homeland for 2,000 years. God is going to and and has started Messianic Jews to lead in a spiritual revival. You know, in Zechariah 8.23, I love this verse, it says, Thus says Adonai Shivao the Lord of Hosts in those days it will come to pass that 10 men from all uh, I'm sorry from every language of the nations will grasp the corner of the garment or the tzitzit of the garment of a Jew saying let us go with you for we have heard that God is with you And we're seeing that happen right now. We're seeing uh, people coming to Israel and and asking uh, for Jewish people to lead spiritually in in some of these holy days. And and we're seeing in the Messianic movement a large group of Christians coming into the Messianic movement, realizing that there is a lot to be learned from uh, the Hebrew Scriptures, which has to some degree, uh, not been fully looked at uh, by the Church. Well, lesson number four um, is be at peace. God's in control. Uh, Be motivated into action, but do do not fear. Do not be anxious. And, and, you know, I think it's really important that we figure out uh, what God is calling us to do. Number five is that, Everything, it's all supernatural. God is using a remnant of a remnant, Messianic Judaism, to join with a remnant from the Church, which as we join together in unity, we become that one new man. You know, look, Messianic Judaism, the idea here is, and and it's supernaturally done, there's not one leader, is bring Jews to know Yeshua as their Messiah, bring the church to know their Jewish roots, and and usher in the coming of the return of Messiah. Our last lesson for this is take God seriously, right? Accept Yeshua as your Messiah. If there's anybody listening to my voice who hasn't done this, this is the time to do it. You want to be enlisted in his army, and you want to battle, to come closer to the Lord each day by obeying his heart. So celebrate the establishment of Israel today, because you are remembering, you are establishing his faithfulness, you are testifying of his faithfulness to all people. More importantly, celebrate the God that made this all happen. Okay, at this point, I think we're out of time, so let me close in a word of prayer. Avinu Malkeinu, our Father, our King, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, let us have the faith to see your faithfulness each and every day. And Lord, I pray now in the name of Yeshua that each of my listeners would have a heart like the heart of Messiah. And I pray this in the name of Yeshua. Amen.
0: You are Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, Lion of Judah, the God of Israel.